Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Startup Hustle with Matt Watson and Matt DeCorsi. How are you today, Mr. Watson? I'm really good and I'm really excited. We got some high-tech stuff here with us today. Well, uh, let's go ahead and introduce Mr. Blake Miller from Homebase. Hi, Blake. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. I'm pretty excited to hear about what you have going on at your company. I'm excited to hear uh, some more people represent Kansas City, too. Always representing Kansas City. I'm a, I'm a diehard. Yeah, I think it's also important to point out that Blake had already listened to the podcast and then still showed up for his interview. So <laughs> it's working. Yeah, we're happy to hear that. So Blake, tell us a little bit more about Homebase. Yeah. So, you know, I can give you like the, the really professional or connected building community management platform for uh, multifamily and student housing. Um, but essentially what that means is we're doing the smart homes for apartments. So we connect all of the things like uh, smart lock and a smart thermostat, smart lighting, um, and we integrate that with other kind of building uh, automation, so access control HVAC systems. Um, and we kind of layer in these community management, management tools, make it really easy for a property manager um, to collect rent from the residents, uh, do maintenance and, and work orders, those sorts of things, and even chat like through an instant message. And all of it's kind of built in, baked into one application. So uh, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, I was checking that out uh, just before you got here at homebase.ai. I saw you guys really mm-hmm. doing a lot of different stuff. So um, you also, you know, you have an affiliation with a local incubator, co-working space, yeah. uh, Think Big Partners, and yeah. that kind of led you to Homebase, didn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Um, just a real quick on our background, you know, I, I, I started Think Big uh, with Tyler Procknow and Herb Steve back in 2009, um, and we were just entrepreneurs that had worked together on some projects that wanted to help other entrepreneurs here in KC, and we kind of looked around and didn't, we, we saw a bunch of people doing a lot of things, but um, what we saw that we felt like it was missing was like this real sense of community. And we wanted to try to do our part to help bring that together. And now you look at, um, you know, I think arguably we're just a, a small piece, but you got a, a, a very growing and vibrant scene around kind of entrepreneurship, new businesses all around Kansas City. And I think it, you know, it took a lot of different things that have happened, but the, it's been really cool to kind of be a part of that. So we've invested in a lot of different startups, um, run incubator programs, run accelerator programs, um, but one of the things that really led us to home base was we partnered with uh, Cisco and Sprint in the city of Kansas City, Missouri, um, and really kind of helped bring together what became the public-private partnership that became the Kansas City Smart City Initiative. Um, so we deployed a infrastructure um, in partnership with the streetcar line and, and uh, some other things going on in KC, uh, this connected infrastructure to develop new smart city solutions, essentially. So we rolled out uh, smart Wi-Fi or public Wi-Fi for um, use along the streetcar line, a digital kiosk network, uh, smart streetlight network, um, environmental centers, and kind of all these things. And 
And kind of the, really the idea behind it was turning the city into a smartphone. Smartphones got sensors, it's got connectivity. Um, but one of the coolest things was it had kind of the, the iTunes store where you could gain access to the infrastructure, the data and all that stuff coming off of it and create new applications inside of there. And so we wanted to kind of apply that to, to Kansas City. And as that got deployed, when the streetcar launched in 2016, we had a few uh, local developers here in town, Sunflower Development. Um, that had been doing a ton, a ton of historic rehabs, a lot of the apartment buildings downtown. They said, you know, how do, what, how do we apply this thinking to apartment buildings? Um, and so we kind of looked at the market and, and came up with the idea of what Homebase ended up becoming. Um, but first we built a prototype and, and whatnot just to even prove that we could control like a fleet of smart home devices. Because at that, at that time, um, it was really hard to do so. How do you can, how do you pull things together? How do you make them all talk together and work together and, and all that? So we did that. We partnered with them. Think Big invested in the company. Sunflower invested in the company. We've since to go on, gone on and raised uh, uh, a little over 750K. Um, we've got some great backers in uh, J.E. Dunn Construction, which is a local, you know, very well-known uh, construction company here in town and a bunch of other real estate uh, developers and, and owners. And, you know, now we're taking this thing to market and scaling it. So let me ask you this. How did you, you identified a problem. You had a potential customer lined up, right, mm-hmm. who turned into an investor too. So that's yeah. awesome. But so how did you go from the original idea to validating the idea? Sure. So, you know, it, it really was like basically a corporate innovation project almost, uh, which was very similar to what we did with Cisco and, and, and the rest of them. So we were kind of taking this model of like, okay, they have a clear problem. They think what's out there in the, um, in this, you know, ecosphere or whatever, uh, is not meeting its needs, uh, both from the property management software side of things, being able to manage their buildings. Um, but also like, you know, they had a specific need to be able to try to, uh, to try to solve and, and not have to compete in like the amenities arms race of building a bigger pool or bigger gym or whatever. Um, so by identifying that, we then went out and we just started talking to a ton of property managers um, outside of kind of the original investor group. But we wanted to know what all of their main problems were. Um, and so, you know, a lot of them had the same, like, we don't have access to our data, even in real time, you know, like they're using legacy systems. A lot of the old property management software that's out there, they, they, they were just you know, built in the early 2000s are hard to connect with. Like, we're even looking at one that has to, we have to FTP in to download an XML file. Um, if it tells you anything about how some of these are, um, and, they, and they just don't have control of their data. So we started just looking at that. While a lot of our expertise with the Internet of Things really told us that a lot of things weren't connected yet. You can't connect all the things if they're not already connected. Um, so we kind of took that and, and a little bit of, uh, um, just intuition, I think, and start so, building something. So what about it got the most attention from potential property owners? Was it smart locks? Was it the ability to use smart thermostats and save energy? Was it sure. work orders? Like, was there a specific thing that really was the driver? Or um, was it just all of it together? It, it, the things that we have some of the most interest in right now are things like smart locks and smart thermostats. And it's not because it's really cool to be able to turn your thermostat off and on from wherever you're there or unlock your door or whatever. It's really because of the things that you can do through it. So um, some of the applications or uh, partnerships we have built into our system are things like uh, residential concierge. So you think house cleaners, dog walkers, um, you know, things that some of these higher end apartment buildings are trying to offer, but it costs a lot of money to do. Um, 
but today in today's age we can just press a button and, and a car shows up so they kind of we wanted to be able to bring some of those aspects in there so really a lot of the aspects of everything that we're talking about ends up being what are the roi right so we have you know maintenance people that it takes them 40 minutes you know, 20 minutes on the front side, 20 minutes on the back side to actually complete a work order because maybe they have to go check out a key to gain access to that unit. And then we have a key running around. So you start to look at these processes that can be solved because of the Internet of Things. Um, so that's really where I think a lot of that like impetus really came from outside of thinking this is a new style of amenity. Um, everybody's been putting in granite countertops and stainless steel. You know, let's put in things that are like super useful too that now we can actually get a, a, a return on. So is your target pretty much the high-end apartments or also going to cover the whole spectrum? Great question. So it's definitely started at the high end. Um, but what we found is there is a lot of kind of class Bs and class C type apartment buildings all across the country that are getting renovated um, and being like, kind of brought up to more market rents, maybe slightly above. Um, and so those are actually becoming a great target for us. Um, and, and frankly, I don't know if this is just, you know, the bleeding heart in me or whatever, but, um, I think that there's a lot of things that we can do as we gain more data. And I really want to get down market, um, to help solve kind of affordable housing crisis and some of these things, because, you know, frankly, those, those aren't outside of regulations and cities and stuff that prevent some of these things. Um, a lot of affordable housing is not getting built because it's just not as profitable as it is to build a high end luxury building. When I think about the Internet of Things and how general that is, I, it, is that a huge challenge to try to just connect so many different things? Um, it is. There are standards starting to come along. Um, but I think one of the biggest challenges is just like the relationships behind it, right? So you've got all these things that have this cool whiz bang feature. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, a lock is just a lock. So you got to partner pretty deeply with the the lock partner, being the so just a software integrator like we are. Um, we got to partner very deeply to kind of create those unique experiences uh, around it. So it might take them building in, um, you know, specific things into their lock so that we can have a control of mass unlocking and locking and, and some of those things. Random examples, but. Uh, it is hard to connect all of the things, but I think that's where a lot of the value is. If you can come up with a scalable way to rapidly uh, integrate with new devices as they come out, um, you know that's where that's where we're trying to create value. So, so who is creating the software for you? Because you're you're not a software developer yourself, right? Um, not really. No. So, who, so I have I this? have a background in it, um, but I couldn't sit down and code it today. Um, but I have hired a team. Uh, my CTO is Chris Piggott. Um, and uh, we've got a team of about eight software developers um, and a product team or, you know, product developer with that as well. Um, and so that's kind of the team when we're, we're continuing to kind of expand outside. Of so there. was he part of the founding team? He was. Yeah. Okay. So Chris and I, Chris had worked for me at Think Big with uh, some of the projects we had worked on, um, helping others, some other portfolio uh, companies stand up small uh, tech and, and doing some tech diligence there. Uh, but, um, you know, he had gone back to grad school and this idea kind of came up and he wasn't loving grad school at the time. So I was kind of like, Hey, what do you think about this? And he jumped ship and, and joined the team. Awesome. There's nothing better than dropping out of college to go do what you really want to do, huh? It's all part of the book, right? Yeah. Hey, I, I uh, started my first business before I finished college. So 
Yeah. 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 And I so, continue in every business I start from here to the rest of my life will be before I finish college. <laughs> so I'm with you. I'm with you. You know, I'm thinking about all this integration. My wife's dad worked for Ingersoll Rand or Schlag mm-hmm. um, for his whole life, like literally early 20s till retirement. And I think about these mega companies. Do you have a hard time getting to the people that you need to talk to, to build these relationships? And like, how slow is the life cycle of just getting to anybody getting anywhere where you you can get the right person to even pay attention or give you a response or data that you need? It is slow. It's incredibly slow. Um, But I will say as as we, in moving with the, in working with the smart city effort, that was like, that was way slower. So it was like, I feel like I've sped up in moving with these, but, you know, in working with some of these companies, like, you got to remember, they are, in some cases, 100-year-old companies. They've been building locks for 100 years. And in the last five to seven, like, all of a sudden, this crazy idea of being able to use your smartphone came about. So they're new to this. They're testing things themselves. They're trying to figure out where do they really fit in into the ecosystem, right? And, um, you know, I think in some aspects, you start to work with some groups that think that, well, we're the platform and we're going to you know, create everything and people are going to run on top of us where it's just not going to work that way. I don't think like you are going to have like the internet of things is going to come about because platforms talk to platforms and one platform might be really great to grow, you know, a services business because it's a lock and then, you know, no pun intended, but it unlocks all these other things. Um, but you've also then got uh, a, a light company that really could be like, if you're doing smart light bulbs or smart fixtures, like theoretically you could create a very interesting um, platform because you already have connectivity. You already have uh, electricity running to you. So you don't have to worry about batteries and all these things. Um, so it's just interesting to see where some companies want to try to own everything and they, it makes it really hard for them to work with everybody because they have to be the the captain. And then some others are like, we just want to be really good at connecting with XYZ. Um, and I think that that's where the value is going to be created. It's, it's through collaboration, it's through partnerships. Um, and that's how the internet things is going to happen. I think the smartest big company managers that I've talked to in the past have a very clear realization of what they should be doing. They say, you know, like, for example, just say the generic lock company, like we're in the business of making locks. We're not software developers. We're not this, we're not that. And, you know, when I talk to people about Gigabook or anything that we're trying to do, when I hear that, I love that because, you know, they understand, hey, you know, we should continue to try to be good at what we do and not try to, you know, do 10,000 other things. So I think anybody who has ever created hardware would tell you it's an absolute nightmare to create hardware and make it work and mm-hmm. bug free and all that. So you got all these companies that made deadbolts that were like real simple mechanical things that all of a sudden have turned into hardware and software companies. Yeah. Right. And, like that's a whole different world for them. Right. And some are trying to bring it in house because they've got these high paid MBA consultants that are like, oh, no, no, you got to bring all software in-house. And then some are like, well, you know, we're just going to do what we do really, really well and partner with a software company and let them take care of all that hard stuff. And some of the really good ones, we're lucky to have some great partners um, that we've built. They're, they're like, okay, well, you just tell us what you need and then we'll get out of your way. We'll get it done for you. And like, they're almost kind of this like virtual incubator where we're helping them piece things together. But in the, in the same time, they're really helping us as well. I like the efficiency that 
that you're describing, I, I hadn't even considered that. Like the the maintenance guy that's burning 40 minutes out of an hour, just getting a lot a key or putting something back mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And, that, you know, I think a lot of the things that are going to exist in the future, the tools that businesses use are going to hinge on that because it's just, everything's so tight and so competitive and just these little tiny fixes, you know, it's like that jar of change that's on, you know, there's not the yeah. silver bullet solution that, fixes your inefficiency. It's got to be these little tiny bits and pieces at a time. And when you add it up and you dump it into Coinstar or at the bank or whatever, you're like, wow, you know, 400 bucks or in some of those cases, that could be pretty significant. Totally. I mean, you know, we have a, like pretty much every, every one of our competitors out there are all running around saying, oh, this is a, a great amenity and you're going to be able to raise your rents and do other things. That might be the case for the next little bit. But in a few years, like this is going to be totally table stakes. And so if you're not thinking about like, how do you shave time, which is frankly the only commodity or the only like value that anybody will have in the future, it's going to be time arbitrage. What is, what is your time worth? Does it cost you to do this or should you just hire it out? Like that's what we're trying to really start to shave things off of. Um, so everybody thinks that smart home for apartments is going to raise your rents because it's a cool amenity. It might, but you got to be thinking further along of, of what this data and the control gives you or, or and create the solutions and experiences for it. So what kind of challenges have you had that you didn't really expect going into this? Well, the funny one that I like to talk about, like this happened a year ago when we were installing the first prototype was uh, in one of an apartment building here in uh, Westport was you know, get all in there. We've got everything hooked up, installed, and we can't figure out why nothing's connecting. Hub's in, it's showing that it's on. Why can't I get it? Well, the the owner forgot to turn on internet in that building. It's like, you know, so it's like how many smart guys does it take to realize you don't even have the internet for the internet of things? Um, so those are just like funny challenges. But, um, you know, some of the biggest things is, uh is the connectivity issue when it comes to all these different buildings. You're in a bunch of different geographies. I think being here in Kansas City, we all kind of take bandwidth for granted now now, um, because you've got Google Fiber and Google Fiber has spurred all of these other um, service providers to up their game and everything. So connectivity isn't as much of an issue in Kansas City, but you go to some of these other markets that we're we're in or that we're evaluating and like bandwidth is a real issue. It's like, well, we can only get about 100 megabits to this building. So now we got to figure out, well, do we bring in a cellular hub to try to connect things and how we do that? And then even in some places, like you don't have great self-service there. So, um, so do you have to install, do you have like a, a device that they have to install in each building? Yeah, we have a hub, um, that goes into every unit. Um, and then, so um, each individual apartment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The control, so they got and, a, an internet router or a Wi-Fi router or whatever, and then they got a home base unit. Um, yeah, but we we work with, we try to generally bring uh, connectivity into the building from a building wide network. Um, provides a lot more security, sure, um, and some of those things. We don't like being um, on other people's networks. Um, we, you're not you're not tied to somebody's Comcast. No, we don't like we don't like that. Yeah, you're outside of that, but we, you're we, still in their in their apartment. We definitely are. I mean, we're controlling their locks yeah. and, and potentially their thermostats, even the light switches. Uh, we have Alexa integrations and those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, 
so it, there's a lot of interesting things. Cybersecurity is a big thing of, of what we're what we're talking about. Yeah, I was going to um, ask about that. What kind of objections do you run into? You know, anytime you have a, a new technology, mm-hmm. especially something that can open your door, or turn off your lights, or yeah. stuff like that. I mean, the question's got to be: is like, you know, h- how do you how do I know that you're not going to unlock my door at three in the morning? Right. I mean, there's, and I think a lot of those things we are all trying to we're we're trying to put really great. Um, best practices in place. Uh, but I think all the best we can do right now is to, is to continue to have great partnerships and relationships with our, the OEM manufacturers integrations that we have. Um, that's why we work with commercially available stuff, which we try to at least put a lot of that um, security liability there. Um, but we're building and we're working with some great teams and thinking about that cybersecurity. And, and I think a lot of things too, and what you have to really think about is, um, just because we can do something, it's like, should we? Um, where does the privacy, where does the data lie in those things? And it's something I think a lot about. We talk to uh, a lot of our owners about. We talk to residents that are using it. Um, but it's one of the reasons why we still we work with kind of things that, you know, if at the end of the day, it's still just a lock. It doesn't have to be controlled. That You can just use a regular key to get in and get out. Is the lock the most popular thing that you connect to? Um, locks and thermostats are the, are the most popular, um, in terms of what owners buy to put in. Um, now we have connections with things like the LifeX bulb or Philips Hue that the resident can, you know, go buy and pick up off the shelf and, and plug into their smart home and make it all work together as well. Um, you know, I, having so, colored lights are pretty cool. And, and so do they end up with a home-based app on their phone that they use? They do. So they have a home-based app that has all of that instant messaging communication, rent. I can pay my rent through that app, do the maintenance deal, but I can also unlock my door all through the same app. You can create work orders all through our one app. Can I get this from my own home? And sure. like a handyman shows up? Sure. Actually with our partnership with Lula. Perfect. Um, <laughs> Seriously. Like, yeah. weren't, weren't you trying to call me for that a couple of weeks well, ago when I was building deck stairs? Well, you do own a truck. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have to hire me through the bungee app. Though. Yeah. <laughs> I think we determined that earlier. Yes. Well, I mean, the, and those guys love it. Like love what Ben's doing over there. It's like, that could be a great potential, you know, integration with what we're doing. Right. It's like, you know, who, who wouldn't need a, or who would probably need a truck more than anybody? An apartment dweller, probably. I'm looking forward to one other thing that Alexa can't understand what I'm saying through. <laughs> you, Mr. Watson's raising his eyebrows, but I think I have like the very first Alexa. I need her to learn some more. I just hope it never figures out what my three-year-old is saying. Yeah, well, if I have the same issue, I'll hear the Bubble Guppies theme song like 75 times I in think, a row. I think, I think voice is definitely going to be part of the future. Um, I don't know that it's the full thing. I mean, you look at, see how many skills that are on there, like seven or 8,000 skills. Like that's a crazy language you'd have to learn to even be able to leverage any of those. Right. I mean, I think I probably use four or five, but of skills like tops just off the top of my head. Right. But I think kids using Alexa is actually an interesting discussion nobody's having. Right. So like, you know, the most, the, the simplest and easiest way to make sure Alexa extend uh, Alexa understand you is, Alexa, tell XYZ to do ZYX, right? Well, that's kind of demanding, like kind of like very impolite. So you got these kids running around. There's like, Alexa, play Spotify. Like, say please, like, or something like. Mom, yeah. turn on the TV. Yeah, that reminds me, you know, I'm, I'm old. 
you know, compared to a lot of people in tech anymore. And I remember when computers first came out and the thing, the, one of the biggest objections people have, they're like, they're so rude. You put something in and be like, syntax error. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, do this, you know, and it just would they, they still do that to me. What are well, you talking about? I, I understand, but I'm saying they were really rude. And uh, I think people that, you know, were just become, you know, this is back when a lot of people thought PCs were a fad. These computer shows are a fad, much like the internet and everything else. But um, yeah, I just remember that always being a complaint. These computers are so rude. I'm like, I mean, we're, you're not building a relationship with us. So, so Blake, you mentioned you've, you've got a couple investors, you raised uh, kind of a seed round. Um, you've got, how many employees do you have? Uh, we're at 12 today and probably go up to 18 here, probably by March or March okay. or April. So what kind of challenges have you had with growing the team? Has that been a pretty easy process so far or you had some growth challenges there? Um, you know, I think we're just really starting that over the last uh, little bit. Part of it is just the time that it takes to recruit. Um, and, you know, you know, this as being, being CEO, like you've got to kind of, especially in an early team, like, you know, we're coming out of just being really of a product team for the last year and a half as we got the thing to, to market and just kind of we're heads down building and having more of a technical background myself. I, I was able to manage that. I can look at code and really kind of understand if it's well-written code. So you can do kind of what you say you're going to do. As you start to move outside of that, you start to hire other business people, you know, whether it's support or sales or operations or all these things, like people can interview really, really well. And, you know, just kind of, it sounds all great. And then you think you're on the right page and you get on, you're like, wow, you can't do any of the things that you said you did or whatever. So I think those, um, those issues, just growing outside of the things that aren't your kind of natural forte. Um, and just trusting things that you're also figuring out on the fly too, trying to get it going and just trusting somebody else can take it and run um, has been some of the challenges there. Um, and just learning as yourself, like from being a producer to moving to more of a leader than anything like radical, that's a big change. Radical delegation is crazy. And like, you and I have talked about this and times we caught up before it's like, you know, sometimes like, you're trying to figure out how to do something. And by the time you even like are halfway through figuring out how to tell somebody else how to do it, you're like halfway there and you're like, screw it, I'll just get it done. Um, and so like that radical delegation part has been a hard part for me, just trying to figure out where to just hand it off. That's the challenge, I think, for any growing business. I mean, all you can do is all you can do. And, and as the person that started the company, you often feel like you can do it the best. Mm -hmm. So that often will put you in a situation where you want to do the best job over and over and you kind of keep running into all these problems. You know, hiring is also a really tricky beast. You just never know if someone's going to do a good job until they show up to do it. Right. And, you know, I, I think that and you're talking about the hiring process being slow. I'm assuming you're talking to people multiple times trying to weed that out, but it yeah. still doesn't always work. Well, and the biggest advice I have is you got to hire people that will thrive in a startup. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, yeah, you might find the, the perfect person who's worked in this big corporate job and has the right experience and background, but that doesn't mean they're going to succeed at all in a startup. Right. Oh man. I mean, the, the two guys we just brought on recently, like it, is a perfect example because you're going to, you're going to get in like the first days we're like, okay, what's the training like? And I'm like, let's sit down. I'm going to brain dump <laughs> training. I'm going to brain dump on you. I hope you take decent notes. And then like, here's a project get started. Like, I don't know how I literally don't know how else to get you in grain. Like, I like it when um, people at my startup have said, well, what's my job description? Chief to, cook and bottle washer. To do whatever the hell needs to be done right now. Yeah. 
Um, and you know, maybe at some point that'll change, but like to your point, Matt, like, you know, you have to have people that are ready to go to just kind of fly by the seat of their pants, figure out what needs to be done. Um, and what's kind of in their back of your head. And it's like not trying to get ahead of myself, but knowing that those people might be great today, but in like 10 months to a year, if, if they're successful, the company might actually even outgrow them. Some, and that's absolutely true. And some people do not do well in that flying by the seat of your pants. They want a lot of structure and planning and organization and training yeah. and like, nope, doesn't work that way. No, and, and, and it, it, you know those things. And then it's like, well, you know, right now I'm just trying to keep the lights on. <laughs> so like, I know you want all of these other things, but like, we're, we got to figure out over here, it's going to be a mess. It's going to, it's going to change. And the reality is, is like, I can't even give you a pricing structure because if somebody as much bigger comes along, that's like an enterprise, like true enterprise client, like our pricing structure doesn't really matter if we want to try to win that, that deal. Um, so it's just, it's just a crazy, nothing's, nothing's set in stone and, and you do have to find those so, right people. Somebody told me once that when you're hiring for a startup, you want to hire people that like to travel and like to teach. It's usually people that te- like to teach are okay with teaching everybody else. Sure. And as you grow, That's good. That's they'll, awesome. they'll teach, you know, the rest of the team and people that travel typically are good at, at planning and figuring things out. And they have to, you know, they're going somewhere they don't know and they have to figure out how to get around. It's good. Well, it's, uh, I, I don't know if those tips actually hold any water, but those are a couple no, of tips. I mean, it I makes sense. Like it makes sense. Yeah. Right? Like, well, I think from the travel side, you know, travel requires some dedication and it requires putting a some of the things that you, some of your comforts off to the side, you know, it could be your family. Like, you know, uh, yeah, I had a job where I traveled 180 days in a year. And that's when I realized I didn't want to travel for work anymore, but it was a definite commitment. And it's, it's challenging. I don't know how anybody with a family does that. I would have been broken up. I have a question for both of you guys. What is, uh, and Blake, we'll let you answer first. What's the quality when you're hiring that you look for the most? For me right now, just kind of where our stage is, like, I want that kind of like, no pun intended, but that hustle, like somebody that just like, they got my attention in the process, right? Like, you know, one of the guys that joined us joined us because I was like, listen, I, until I raise this next little tranche, like, I, I don't feel comfortable bringing somebody on and da, 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 da. he's like, listen, Put a, put a commission plan together for me. And I want in, I, I, I just want to make the jump to startups. And I'll take that risk. How do you argue with that? So like that type of, type of thing, even though like it could be for whatever, whatever other things are going on. It's like, well, I respect that hustle that you'll, you're going to do whatever it takes to, to make it happen. Um, for right now though, like what the biggest things is like kind of that athlete, right? Hey, here's where like I can play. This is the position I usually play, you know, but like I can bleed over here. I can flex over here. I can do that. Um, those are the things that I really like. I, I don't think, I don't think until you're probably in a, like a legit series A after an A or a B, you should be hiring any specialists um, for anything. So being able to have somebody that can play multiple, multiple positions on the field is really valuable to me. And I like loyalty just because I'm loyal to a fault too. Like if you've got my back, I've got your back to the end of the day. And that uh, those are just the things that really hit it off for me. I've heard the athlete thing before too, like collegiate athletes and stuff. That's I, I love hiring uh, people that have played team sports yep. because there's a few things. One, um, you're used to coaching. Yeah. And, you, and at least if you have the right attitude, you're used to coaching and you aren't afraid to be told that isn't how you do it. You do it like this. 
Um, and also just understanding the, the team dynamic, mm-hmm. you know, that it takes multiple people, like the sum of all of us together is way bigger than just you or me or, you know, any of that. I think that that's an important lesson that, you know, even if my kids are terrible athletes, I want them to play team sports just for that reason and learning some of that, that things aren't always comfortable yeah. that if you want to win that, you know, sometimes you're going to be tired and sometimes you're going to feel hurt. And sometimes you're going to deal with crushing disappointment. The only that, problem that with that analogy want. is like, we all come from like the participation sport. It's like, I think it's like good to understand that sometimes you lose mm-hmm. and you learn a lot yeah. from failure and, and from loss. So and that's like, a crushing disappointment. You yeah. Know? Like sometimes you, sometimes someone takes a full court shot. And it goes through and the buzzer sounds and you felt like, you know, the, the ball doesn't always go through the basket. Or, totally. You know, there's just a lot of like, I'm a big baseball guy. So, you know, baseball is the weirdest of all. Like, you never know. The ball's just going to, you mm-hmm. know, take a bad hop. And I mean, the Royals made it to the World Series in 2015 <laughs> off of a bad hop. And, you know, that that one defining moment, like, how would you feel if you were the Houston Astros? Yeah. So, you know, that, that's a tough thing too. You were going to, what else do you look for, Matt? Well, I think you have to look for employees that like the typical startup benefits. And so those key benefits, <laughs> those key benefits are low pay, long hours, long hours and hard work. Yeah. If they can handle those, they're usually a pretty good fit. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you. I, I drive. That's a big thing. Um, I want people that are obsessed, you know, like, cause it's a great one. If you're, if you're a nine to fiver, uh, that's my least favorite kind of employee. Like, cause you know, it just doesn't always happen between in this Never given does. eight hour bracket. And it makes it really difficult too. with, you know, in this globalized world, you know, we have, uh, programmers in Belarus, we have programmers in the Philippines. And if you're only working between nine and five, and you're the one we need an answer or input from, and we have to wait the next day, they can put that development cycle behind totally. a long way. Um, you know, you can't teach hustle. It, 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 you have it or you don't. And, you know, another thing too, that I look for, and you can never really tell this right away, but if I have an employee that cares, like, and I mean, cares like about the success of the business. Like I should really answer this email, even though it's 1130 at night, because not doing so, it's going to result in something we don't want to happen. And I notice those little things big time when, when I'm employing people that, yeah. So I, I think that that's also something, you know, either you care or you don't. Right. And I, I also have the, uh, benef- the startup benefits plan. I actually have to tell people because I can be really intense and I, I'm like, I have to sit them down. Like, I want to make sure that you're going to be able to handle working with me. They said, well, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm pretty intense sometimes. Like, I'm going to be the first person that will pat you on the back and tell you what a great job you did. And I'm also going to be first in line to kick you in the ass when you do the same dumb thing for the fifth time in a row. Mm-hmm. And some people have literally said, I don't know about that, but they wouldn't, so they wouldn't have made it anyway. Yeah. Right. Um, Blake, what kind of advice can you give to future founders, entrepreneurs, any hopeful for uh, their own hustle? I would say the one of the biggest things is like learn how to code or learn how to develop something on the internet, even if it's just having like a great skill of being able to stand up WordPress sites with a template and, you know, being able to create whatever you want onto there, like have that skill at the very least, because you're not then relying on people, other people to communicate your vision out outwardly on some of those things. And so I think that's just like one basics, right? 
it also gives you somewhat of an appreciation, like if, especially if you're not technical, like it gives you some, it, it's a very approachable and easy thing to learn, but also gives you at least some semblance of like, okay, what goes through an, an actual engineer's head? How do they think through building a product, building just anything? Because it, you, there's a process that you kind of have to follow, follow or there's a framework that comes together. Um, I, I think that those are just valuable skills to be able to have. Um, on the other side, like, go find a startup and just do whatever it takes to to get them to let you into their walls work for them do whatever like get the training wheels off if you really want to start something in the future like go learn and at least see how somebody else was doing it that you know that doesn't cost you much more than the startup benefits you guys are talking about, right? Go put the six months in and I guarantee you it's going to be, be better than any MBA program or anything that you go through these days. Like that sounds a lot like my benefits pitch, like kind of like yours. I, I say that I say, look, you're going to learn more in this next year than you learn in college or after or anything. And I said, well, why? Because you're going to see it happen. You're going to learn that it's not always A to B to C to D to E to F to G. It's more like A can't get to D because B and C aren't working and E quit. (laughs) And F is sitting there screaming for shorter hours and better pay. And you're just like, oh my God, this is terrible. Yeah, I mean, the reality is like, there's just nothing that you can do that can prepare us. I've started lots of businesses. I've run businesses on my own. I've been a part of other people. There's nothing like being the one that's in charge and you're the only one that you can look at. There's just nothing like that. What are the chances, and I want a percentage here, that your startup is going to go exactly the way that you wanted it to? Zero percent. I agree. No. No. <laughs> Good answer, Dale. Programmer talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, Blake, I'd like to thank you for coming by. You've had some very insightful things. I'm really excited about what you guys are doing. I think it's really cool. I I think that much, I'm going to let Matt uh, and his house blaze the trail for getting all this stuff hooked up, mainly because I'm going to have you come hook it up at my house afterward. If there's a way to use this and um, I can push a button and put in a work order and things get fixed in my house, that would be great. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's literally the goal. I mean, as we see the future, like, I kind of jokingly say this because everybody wants to do a software as a service or XYZ as a service. But like, I literally think if we're successful, we're providing like a living as a service to resident that property owners can deliver to the residents. Like we're, if we're successful there, people are less likely to move away because then you kind of have to like relearn how to be an adult. And like, that's the biggest expense that our owners or our clients have is somebody moving away. They've got to, you know, put money into marketing and and release it lost rent, um, you know, the cost of the turn, all those things, that's their biggest expense. If we can mitigate that just by having somebody stay one extra year and those people are just living an awesome life in there, I think we're winning. I agree. If you want to learn more about Homebase, you can go to homebase.ai. There's a lot of great information and examples about what they do and how they do it. And in the meantime, thanks for joining the hustle, Blake. It's a lot of fun. Thank you. See y'all next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.